Get the religious folks. <laughs> anyway, this buddy of mine, he posted something. He said, uh, I read about guys my age mountain climbing. He said, man, <laughs> I'm just trying to get my feet through my the holes in my underwear without losing my balance. <laughs> Well, you know, it's really more old habits than old age. It's uh, <laughs> that's his fault. You know what I mean? <laughs> so, I thought it was funny though. Well, here's the joke I got from Norma. This is a little more appropriate. <laughs> uh, at Sunday school, they were teaching how God created everything, including including human beings. Little Johnny seemed especially intent when they told him how Eve was created out of one of Adam's ribs. Later in the week, his mother noticed him lying down as though he were ill, and she said, Johnny, what's the matter? Little Johnny responded, I have pain in my side. I think I'm going to have a wife. Praise God. Two weeks till Easter Sunday, a resurrection Sunday. We're getting excited about that. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this beautiful spring day. Thank you for the communion that we're able to partake of in remembrance of you, Lord. Thank you for this wonderful body of believers here that comes together to worship you, to grow in the grace and knowledge of the our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you to all those who listen and other forms of media and formats, Lord, and all those who will hear this message in the future. We just bless all of them, and we thank you, Lord, for using me today that your precious word is anointed. Just ask that you make it clear, Lord, and help everyone to grow and walk in victory. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Praise God, we've been talking a lot about our Lord Jesus Christ, knowing that this is the, historically, this was the time, you know, that we celebrate that was toward the end of his ministry. And I... I can't, I've never gotten over Luke 9.51 where it talks about as the days approach for Jesus to be taken up. He set his heart, his mind, his resolve to go to Jerusalem. And um, he set his face is what it says, but that's what it meant. He made up his mind. He was determined he was steadfast and he knew what was awaiting him. And we figured out that it was because he had an eternal perspective. He didn't, he wasn't so moved by worldly things and the temporal nature of this world, even though it was going to cause him great heart, hardship and pain, he endured it all. And we look to Jesus as our great role model because he is our role model for everything in this life how to live the Christian life because he did it perfectly amen, amen. and he had no more tools than what we have available to us and I believe that with all my heart I believe that he never I told you last week, it wasn't like he was around the house and get that off the top shelf for me, Jesus, whoop, you know, magically doing it or uh, supernaturally doing that. He didn't do any miracles and there's no account of it until he was baptized in water, uh, first of all, by his cousin John the Baptist and simultaneously baptized in the Holy Spirit, which was the symbol of the dove lighting on him. And then he began his three and a half year ministry. I think I said something when I was trying to make the point about, about how Jesus marveled at the unbelief of the Nazarenes in his hometown. I think when I talked about how when they got offended saying, isn't this the carpenter and isn't this? And I was just trying to show how they, 
how the familiarity breeded contempt. And I said something about, isn't this the, the kid that broke out my window? I, I, I don't think I should have said that. It, what I was picturing in my mind was like a kid breaking a, a, with a baseball by accident. I wasn't implying that he did something maliciously. <laughs> so, nobody said anything to me about that, so thank you. But, but I heard it when I listened to it again, and I went, oh, I'm sorry, Lord. You know, I do that often. So, nevertheless, Jesus is our great role model, and, and we, had, uh, we had better look at his life. It says in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. So he is our example, our role model, our Savior, our God. He operated in great faith, motivated by love, inspired by the hope set before him. So that's what motivated him. He looked past the cross. He had an eternal outlook and we've been talking about that. 1 Corinthians 13, 13 talks about faith, hope, and love. These three abiding realities or truths that remain in the Christian life. And he walked in great victory in every area. And so can we. Amen. So, Galatians 5, 5 says, So we, through the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. So, also, we have an eternal perspective, or we should, or we can. Anything that it says we do, or can do, or should do, God would be wrong to ask us to do it, or tell us that we should do it, if He didn't give us the ability and the power and everything that we needed to do it. And... The Bible tells us that all things pertaining to life and godliness, this life and godliness, have already been granted to us. Amen? And we are to become partakers of all of the divine nature of God through the promises of God. And so, the promises of God are all here. I think about 8,000 of them. But sitting on that, that nightstand, they don't really empower us. We have to have a, a faith response our, our, our positive response to everything provided by grace. Amen. That the, the, the grace of God, which brings salvation, has appeared to all men. Titus 2.11. The grace of God, which brings salvation, has appeared to all men. And then it goes on to tell how grace is a teacher, teaching us to live godly lives and so on. But it has appeared to all men. But not all men are saved, right? That's because we have to have that faith response. But we realize, having discussed this last week, that hope is essential. And we hear a lot about love, which is good. We hear a lot about faith, at least in, in the circles or the uh, charismatic uh, churches that are spirit-filled. Um, we know about the Holy Spirit. We're friends with the Holy Spirit. We know that He is the conductor of our lives and the one who comes alongside and takes a hold together with our paraclete, our helper, our teacher. And we allow him and invite him into our churches. Amen. So that's a good thing. But you don't hear a lot about hope. And that's why I've been teaching about it. Because it's essential too. Because hope is what gives your faith a target. Amen. And that hope is really all founded in the return of our Lord Jesus Christ. For us to be resurrected in new bodies. And so our salvation is one third uh, complete. In that our new born again spirits have been renewed. And sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. So they're just like they will always be. From now on through eternity. Now this soulish realm. Our free will. Our mind and will and emotions are being renewed. And then this body will be renewed when we see Jesus again. Amen? Amen. So 1 Thessalonians 5.23 says that we are spirit, soul, and body. So that's why we identify with that newborn again spirit man. Because if you don't, you'll never understand how God can love you. You'll never understand the power and authority and victory that you walk in. You'll never understand your true identity. And therefore... You will suffer loss because of it. 
I don't mean that you'll go to hell. I'll just mean that some of the tears that Jesus wipes away when you see him will be because you realize all that you missed out on because what you don't know is killing you. Huh? My people, God said, are perishing for a lack of knowledge, a lack of knowing me. So we grow in uh, grace and peace can be multiplied in our lives, right? Through the knowledge of of God and of Jesus Christ our Lord. So we do need to know some things. It's, it's, uh, you know, I've known a lot of people that squeaked into heaven, as you might say, you know, and I, I couldn't be happier. You know, hey, if they if they live a hard life and suffer through this life and and in their last breath, just like the thief on the cross, they get it at that last minute. Good. I don't want anybody to go to hell. And I have relatives and friends and things like that. I I often talk about my own brother who who uh, I was so thankful that was redeemed. And it's a great story. But he just didn't stick around long enough to enjoy the benefits of his salvation in this life, which I believe God wants us to. Amen? Amen. Because not only for our own selves and our own families, but for others, right? So we're blessed to be a blessing. And that goes with not just money, as we normally think of, but with everything. Jesus taught a lot about money because it's something that we think about a lot and do need. It's a great tool but it go, everything in the kingdom of God is in seed form, isn't it? And we are the sprinklers. So if you say, oh Lord, I've got enough water, speaking as a sprinkler, <laughs> you know, that means that that sprinkler thought that the water was all for it. <laughs> what about the, water, the grass and the, the yard around you? Yeah. So in that case, you would never say, oh, Lord, you've done enough for me. Turn it off. That's very religious, wrong-minded thinking, you see. You just pray, Lord, make me a better steward. Make me what you created me to be. Make me to help me to hear you clearly. Help me to, to be and to do everything that you created me to be and to do. And he will. He has provided the grace for you to do that. Amen. So, 1 Peter 1.13 says, Wherefore, prepare and strengthen our minds. So, the hope of God is essential. It comes from inspired and birthed through the new birth that we have in Christ. But Peter says in Peter, 1 Peter 1.13, to prepare and strengthen our minds. So he says something, you know, gird up the loins of your mind. What he means is prepare to strengthen your minds. Basically, renew your minds. He said, be sober and hope to the end. Hope to the end. And you see this as an underlying theme throughout the New Testament, talking about this hope and this the, this idea that I'm, I'm getting at here, because he keeps saying until the end. Jesus says, those that you'll be saved, those who endure until the end, right? So that just shows you that it's not a once and done thing, right? You know, you don't get get dumped and then go on about your business and and uh, everything's okay. God expects there to be growth and something that He plants in you, right? And so we need to nurture the seed of the Word of God, keep all the weeds out. Keep it watered with the washing of the water of the word, the help of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So we wait patiently with an eternal hope. And this hope releases us. Remember, I tell you last week, it releases us from the bondage of time, which is very exciting because we're no longer bound as slaves to just a few mortal years on this life. And the older you get, the more you realize how how much of a flicker we are here for. And and I'm not saying that so that uh, it's a bummer or a downer or that there's no hope in this life, because there is. God, Jesus said, I came that you might have life and have it more abundantly or to the full. He was talking about it during this life, you know. There's eternal life. 
Um, and that begins the moment you get saved or born again. You don't have to wait until you get to heaven to begin to experience the wonderful benefits of your salvation. If you'll just come to learn God's will and His ways for your life because they're all good. Amen? Amen. So, <clears throat> the something I wanted to mention is that the Christian life... So many in the world, as you probably know, they think of Christianity as behavior modification. That's why they look at you so hard and they criticize you when you talk about being a Christian because what they're doing is immediately comparing themselves to you. And it's sad because that's not what Christianity is all about. Um, It's not about behavior modification. It allows for behavior modification. And that's a good thing. The truth is that if you're a true disciple of Jesus Christ, you will embrace Jesus' truth. And then you will be free from sin. Hmm? And that's not as a condition to earn his approval, but as a benefit of your salvation. And the sooner people would realize that it is a benefit and not a not a a demand, a burdensome demand that they are unable to to do, then they'll start running to God instead of from Him. See, religion will make you run from God instead of to Him. John eight thirty one says, "So Jesus said to the Jews, see, He was preaching one day. Oh, if I turn to John chapter eight. Even in the, the real English, I'll still stay there for a long time because it's so powerful. But in John chapter 8, Jesus was preaching and some of, the, some of the Jews that were listening to him, they believed in him. They believed on Jesus because you couldn't help but listen and believe if you really were hungry for the true God and you didn't have an uh, ungodly motive or agenda, which a lot of them did. But it said that some of the Jews that, that were listening, they believed on him. So it says here in John eight thirty one. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him. So what what did I just say? Who is he talking to? Uh, besides them being Jewish, they are what? Believers. These are believers. Huh? If. Then he throws in an if. It says they're believers. And he says, if. You abide in my word. You remain in my word. You become a student of my word. You live out my word. You are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth. And the truth will set you free. People say the truth will set you free. You hear that all the time. Yeah, well that's not what he was referring to. Just... Because if you're pointing to uh, Greek philosophy as truth or something like that, then that's wrong. That won't set me free. That'll put me in more bondage. (laughs) So the only real truth is Jesus Christ. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. So if he's saying, I am the truth, no one comes to the Father but by my truth. Huh? But by my way. Hmm? No one receives life but by me and through me. I've heard it said that a lot of folks just don't want to live for the Lord because they're afraid of uh, the fact that they might have to change. And again, it's just wrong thinking. They're focused on what they'll have to give up instead of what they stand to gain. And that's where they need the help of true believers who are free from religion and all these other things that people have gotten wrong impressions about God. I can't tell you how often I hear these things coming out of everybody's mouth that I run into and it's just wrong impressions of God. They have the wrong impression of God and, and some of it came from church. A lot of it just comes from the world. And, and even Christians, unfortunately, usually won't let the Bible stand in the way of what they want to believe. But it shouldn't be like that, folks. <laughs> it shouldn't be. You know, you can't form your opinions 
through the lenses of your experience and your hurts and your pains and the past uh, bitterness and, and all those things and then go to the Word to find Scripture to support that thinking. You see what I'm saying? You need to connotes or empty out is the word in Greek. Uh, connotes to so just empty out everything you think you know and then let this let this word teach you the real truth, which is the only truth. Amen? Amen. Joel 2.32 says that there is deliverance. So this is a hard world. We're in tough times. Everybody as seems to be talking about end times and and hard times and recession and oppression and all the negatives of this life. And I'm not saying they're not real, but man, this is a very exciting time to be alive if you are a Christian. There are, there are wonderful things that the Lord has for us to do. We are a part of this end times bride of Christ and the real bride of Christ, the real end times bride of Christ, as the Lord showed me some uh, 15 years ago, I think now, that is going to be adorned with all the gifts of the Spirit, walking in power and love and victory, because there's going to be another, other groups, large groups, maybe even larger groups, who will claim to be that bride and aren't. And it's almost going to be like in the days of Moses when he went back into Egypt and he said, you throw down your rod and I'll throw down mine and we'll see. We'll see. Now listen, I'm not against anybody. So I'm not going to name specifics, but I'm just telling you that the only truth that should matter is Jesus' truth. You hear Andrew tell a story a lot of times about being raised in a particular denominational church. And then when he got, he got born again, really, I mean, well, he was already born again, forgive me, when he was a little boy. So he would have gone to heaven. But they, you know, his father died when he was like 9 or 11. They told him that, that God did that, you know. And... Uh, you know, it was just nonsense. And then when he got the Holy Ghost, I think like 19 years old, they kicked him out, you know. And he was painting a woman's house uh, to make somebody. And she she said, well, you're, you're a fine young man. You, you should be, you should, well, how come you're not a, a such and such? See how good I'm being? <laughs> He goes, well, I was. I grew up in that church. I love it. I, you know, I, I learned a lot and I grew up in that church. But he, he said, I got baptized in the Holy Spirit and they kicked me out. She goes, oh, you mean that speaking in tongues? He said, well, that's part of it. That comes with it. It's like shoes, tennis shoes. You know, the tongues come with it. But <clears throat> She goes, oh, well, we'd have kicked you out of my church too. And so he showed her through Scripture. All the places. Do not forbid. I wish, I wish all of you would speak in tongues. I speak in tongues more than any of you, Paul said. I wish all of you would. And here's the thing. It builds you up in your most holy faith. Builds you up in love. You know, you, it, it showed her all the scriptures that proved it up. And she goes, oh, there's a lot of stuff in there we don't believe. And she spoke it. But that's really the truth in many, many settings. And many of them have uh, just another book that they wrote that goes along with this book. And this book might even look a little different if you dig deep enough, right? Um, (laughs) And that's not good either, folks. And then others just teach off of pamphlets and things that they've written. And they treat them just like well, that's what the epistles were, you know. You know, they were just stuff that uh, these guys wrote to the church, and that's what we're doing now. It's just still growing. They'll tell you all kind of stuff. I'm just throwing some of these things out there because there's all sorts of stuff out there. But it doesn't matter how hard things get. It doesn't matter what nonsense you've been through. I know people that have come through every one of those nonsensical cults 
and that are free today and walking in great victory and power and love and are so thankful to be free. Amen? Amen. So, Joel 2.32 says, There is deliverance for anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord. Amen? So, I, I, I tell people, listen, I'm not worried about somebody sitting in the wrong setting or environment. Or I'm not out to, to get anybody. If they're really calling out to the Lord in truth... He's going to give them the truth that they need. And if he wants to, he'll pluck them out of there and he'll get them to where he wants them to be. When we have hope in God through the new birth and the promises of Scripture, it opens up a whole new exciting life. And we can truly be free. So, like I said, Joel 2.32 shows that anything, anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord, is, you can be delivered from anything that plagues you, anything that is not of God. Because you can be a Christian and still be... <clears throat> there's a, there, I don't want to start an argument about a, whether a demon can be in you or on you. I don't care if he's in you or riding on your shoulder. You can be demonized and be a Christian. And you can be free of that is the point. I'm not trying to find help you find a demon on every doorknob. We don't want to go there. It's better to keep your focus on Jesus. But the truth is there's deliverance for anything that plagues you. I don't care if it's poverty or a string of bad relationships or uh, anger issues or, you know... There's a lot of things, that health issues, you know, not all, but a lot are, are, are demonic in nature. And some people get upset by that because it makes them feel condemned. It shouldn't, because it doesn't change anything about the way God feels about you. And we are all deceived in some way or suffering for what we don't know. Uh, everybody in here, if Jesus was standing here and he was giving us all an account, if we could just look behind the veil and see all the things that plague each one of us because of either a lack of knowledge of God's truth or or rejection of it, (laughs) we would all be very surprised and humbled by it. Amen. Or oh me. God said in Isaiah 61, 3, that, that God would give us beauty for ashes. You see, there's always a divine exchange program available to the people of God. It's good news is what I'm trying to say. I wasn't trying to point out all of our issues. I was just wanting to show you that God has a plan for anything concerning you, and it's good. So, if you want to... Get rid of something that's hindering you in your life. Sometimes pruning, which is only done by God, by the way, is cutting away something that is good so that something better can come in its place. You know, all the dead stuff is cut away first. But then someone who really knows how to prune, like our father does, who is the gardener, he will cut away some things that that we or even he may call good sometimes to make room for something better and bigger. Amen. Just keep that in mind. I don't know who that was for, but it will it will make a dent. But in that same passage of scripture, he talks about replacing a spirit of heaviness with a garment of praise. You know, if any of you, I myself have struggled from birth uh, with that spirit of heaviness which you may call depression or whatever like that I've battled and uh, even since I've known the Lord uh, and I know the answer I know how to get rid of it and drive it off and I still struggle so I'm not condemning anyone that has ever had issues but God always has the answer he is the answer and he will replace that spirit of heaviness with a garment of of praise. So if you'll just begin to praise the Lord and lift those heavy hands whenever you feel least like doing so, and the, lo- the more the enemy comes at you, the louder you praise God, 
pretty soon you'll preach yourself happy and it'll drive that enemy away. You resist the devil and he will flee from you. Amen? Amen. <clears throat> once you're free, once you identify the issue, once you find the deliverance that you need and you embrace all these truths and you free, your house is swept clean, so to speak, which the Word will do on its own. It can be done by a minister on the spot. It can be done by the Word by itself over time. But all that to say this, then you need to put on the helmet of salvation. So many great evangelists, that's one of their biggest heart pains toward the end of their life is that they led so many to Christ and then they just left them adrift. And some of them ended up in worse case than they were initially because they didn't find a good church home. They didn't get discipled in the Word and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, which is like what we always talk about here. Amen? So we need to learn that we need this helmet of salvation that they talk about in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 17, I believe. And then you find this helmet of salvation if you look at 1 Thessalonians 5, 8 you'll find out that what they're talking about is hope. The same thing we've been talking about. That helmet of hope, that helmet of salvation. So our our hope is rooted in our salvation in Christ alone and our eternity, our eternal perspective, our eternal life with Him and the hope of the resurrection in Him, you see? So we need to have our mind wrapped around that and and anchored in that so that we will be strong in the faith, strong in love. You see, because without that that eternal hope, which is a not wishful thinking, it's a confident expectation of good from God, without that wonderful target, and I think I said before, our our faith will leak out <laughs> and our love will wane. Or wax cold, the Bible says. In the end times, many love will wax cold. And that's going to be because of sin. But the fact is, if you lose what what it's all about, the, the hope of what we're really, what it's all about, then there's really no reason to, to uh, release faith toward anything. And and what, what is love all about if there's not a loving God who's waiting for me and has made a way and prepared and, and, and that, that hope that I'm believing in and living for. Amen? It's called, you know, we just have to have some replacement therapy. You know? Out with the old, in with the new. Out with the ugly, in with the beautiful. Out with the ashes, in with the beautiful headdress. Amen? So... We have to retrain or reprogram our minds from being habitual pessimists to to being convinced Bible believing optimists. Um, Paul in Romans chapter twelve verses uh, one and two, he says, "I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God." In other words. Based on everything God has done, all the wonderful things and this wonderful, beautiful sacrifice of love that He made on our behalf and everything that He's put on account because of our faith in Jesus and the grace that He's offered and everything that He's made perfect in this wonderful salvation that we've entered into, based on that, <laughs> I let, let you or ye... <laughs> Present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. I love the way the King James puts this, so I'm glad I'm using this version today. And be not conformed to the world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. That word transformed is the same, comes from the Greek word metamorpho, which is the same word we use for metamorphosis, like a caterpillar becoming a beautiful butterfly. So that's what we're doing as we renew our minds from the world teaching and the, the ungodliness of, you know, who runs this world for a time? 
So no wonder he has control of the media and is taking over the schools and all that because Christians won't stand up to the God. Because God says, God didn't say just because you're born again, the, the devil's going to run away, did he? He said resist the devil. That means to actively fight against. Re- First, well, let me back up even further. It says something else, doesn't it? Submit yourselves to God. Resist the devil. And then there's the promise. He will flee from you. So are, are we submitted to God, first of all? And then are we actively fighting against the devil? So, because there's a promise attached to that. And if the church would stand up for God's word and God's truth, uh, things would change overnight. For the good. For the whole world. For the whole world. I've always said if the, if the body of Christ was actually living at the level of our inheritance in power and victory, there wouldn't even need to be one social uh, program in, this, in any government in the world. The church would be able to handle it all. Isn't that beautiful? I really do believe that. So we have to retrain our minds. To, so we don't want to be negative. We, it's, it's so easy to be a pessimist, you know. But it's so counterproductive because it's just faith in reverse. Being negative, being a pessimist, say, saying what you see, always finding the negative in everything, is just really putting faith in what the devil can do. And when you're forever a pessimist, you have more faith in the, what the devil can do than what, you, than what God has promised. And, I mean, that's just an unfortunate way to, to put light on it, but it's really true. We're supposed to be believing the promises of God because that's how we become partakers of the divine nature, is what Peter said. Isn't that right? John 12, verse 24. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. We just finished, uh, my, my uh, nephew is just finishing, showed me a picture yesterday out there on my tractor plowing the, plowing the place, ready to plant wheat. So beautiful. I love all that. Just love that. Fixing to put all that seed in the ground. And... Uh, but you know, it's, you just think of a single seed. Jesus says, "If unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground, it's, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds." So think of the head full of wheat, right? They're full of more seeds, and 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 so. And then it says, "The man who loves his life will lose it." So he's he's explaining basically in in the same. Scripture, what he means by it, he's, he's talking about us as a seed, but then he says, the man who loves his life will lose it, while the man who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. It doesn't mean that we're supposed to be self-loathing or just hate anything, really, except the devil, but it just means that the benefit for the Christian is to know that you're just an ambassador here. You're just a recruiter here. This is not your home. This is temporary. You are a child of the Most High God, and you've got a job to do. You're on assignment here. So you're not supposed to fall in love with this world. He's, that's foolishness when you, if you really come to know what's waiting for you, huh? So that's what he's saying. It's such a really a vivid picture. You can see it. Just a, a man. Just, just you. Just there. You are. You're just holding this this one little grain of of wheat. This one little seed. It's in your hand. It's got the hard little shell around it. It's all by itself. It's right there in your hand. You have control over it. It's yours. It's your life. You can do what you want with it. You have free will. God is not going to interfere. And you can make the decisions regarding that. So you can decide what you want to do with it. You can hold on to it. Keep it. But if you do, Jesus says it's going to remain alone. Unproductive. Nothing more will ever come of it. But if you let it go and just let it fall to the ground, give it to God, trust Him with it, then... 
the potential is enormous because not only is it going to produce many more seeds, but then those seeds may produce. Like I always say, science can tell me how many seeds are in an apple, but until you tell me how many apples are in a seed, I'm just going to trust in the God who can. Hmm? Amen. (laughs) But if you do surrender that seed, that life to God, just let it fall to the ground and die in the the dirt, basically. (laughs) Some may walk by, walk over it. It may look gloomy there in the dark, but God's promise is that a new life is going to come out of it. It's going to be a wonderful life. It's not going to be alone. It's not going to be lonely. And that's for all the time and eternity. So it's a much better deal to turn loose of that instead of hold on to it. You can trust God, huh? If we place our hope in Him. You know, Hebrews chapter 6 Verses 11, starting at the 11th verse. Let me just read something to you. And we desire, Hebrews chapter 6, starting verse 11. And we desire that every one of you show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope. Here we go again. Unto the end. That you be not slothful but followers of them who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Isn't that interesting that the opposite of patient here is lazy. Most people don't think of patience as being something that's productive or energetic. But believe me, as a Christian, patience is is not an easy thing to to master but it's essential all this to the end to the end endurance all this is talking about godly patience which is actually a fruit of the spirit of god in you so you can't say some people say i just don't have any patience well no you you just your patience is uh, like your um, your bicep, it's unexercised. <laughs> I don't know why I use that example, but you get my point. <laughs> Where was I? For when God made promise to Abraham. Because he could swear by no greater, he swore by himself, saying, Surely blessing I will bless thee, and multiplying I will multiply thee. And so after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. You see? For men verily swear by the greater, and an oath for confirmation is to them to an end of all strife, wherein God willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel confirmed it by an oath that by two immutable things in which it was impossible for God to lie we might have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold of the hope set before us which hope we have as an anchor of the soul both sure and steadfast and which entereth into that within the veil, within the forerunner, is for us entered, even Jesus, made an high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. There's just some Old Testament philosophy or, uh, or teaching in here, but you can glean a lot from that because he's talking about And I don't know if they even spell it out here. When he says that he goes into the uh, into the uh, the holy of holies, basically. There's there's a couple of types and shadows in this passage of scripture if you study it out. And, and they're really both very powerful and beautiful. One is that, you know, in the Old Testament, if, if somebody, if, if I 
had offended someone or, or done something and they were wanting to kill me, <laughs> basically, I could, if I could run in, into, if I could run into the temple and grab hold of the horns of the altar, then no one would dare touch me. I was safe. Remind me of freeze tag or, or <laughs> when you're a kid. But no one had the courage to touch anyone if they just made it to the horns of the altar. It was a place of refuge. And on the altar, there was four horns, one on each corner, you see. And this, and, and this was the place where someone could run in their darkest moment and, and they would find refuge and safety. And what that is, is a type and shadow of the hope that is given in, in the Word of God and the hope of His eternal life in Christ. Because if we are desperate, we can turn to that altar, the place of sacrifice, which represents our Lord Jesus Christ and His sacrifice on the altar. Then the enemy or the avenger, which we know is Satan and his army, they will not be able to follow you there. Hmm? So now that's a natural example of a spiritual truth. So you can run to the Lord and take refuge in the Lord. Put your trust, your faith, your confidence, your eternal hope in God and you will always find the protection and the refuge that you need. Another thing he, he uses here is, is hope, is, um, is, is an anchor. He, he refers to it as an anchor. And that's a, I love that depiction of hope because you think of uh, you think of uh, what needs an anchor a boat right so you are that boat and why would it need an anchor because out in the water in this vast ocean of life it can be quite treacherous and that anchor is something that has to reach down through the depths of the waters of this life that encompass us and the waters in which there is nothing to which we can grab hold of in water and it has to go all the way down and, and anchor on to something and I would picture that as a rock. huh? And that keeps me from being adrift. It keeps me from blowing to and fro and being tossed about it, it helps me to to stay stabilized, huh? Again, that anchor is a picture of our uh, of, of of our hope in Christ, and the the rock unto which we anchor is our Lord Jesus Christ, huh? An ever present help in time of need. Holds us steady. That, that rock is Jesus Christ. He's the one that sits in the throne room of God. Right there in the holy of holies. And we can enter right in there. And he's sitting in there daily. Interceding for us on our behalf. Because he loves us. Isn't that a wonderful thought? Our hope is in him. He's the rock of ages. Um, the rock that our entire life and eternity are are built on and anchored to. He's stable. He's steadfast. He's trustworthy. He's faithful. He is God. The King of kings and Lord of lords. And right there in this same book, a couple of pages over in, in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8, says Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So He's faithful. He's trustworthy. He... Yeah, I love in the passage of Scripture where he says, in John fourteen twenty seven, he says, Peace I give to you. My peace I give unto you. Not as the world gives do I give unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. He's not going to change his mind about you. He's not going to, uh, he's not wishy-washy as we would say. He's not going to be one way with you today and another way tomorrow. He's not going to give something to you and then take it away. If you ask him, for uh, an egg, he's not going to give you a snake or a scorpion, whatever it says, huh? He's good. He's always good. And you can count on that. I told you last week that 
how Jesus said in Matthew verse chapter 24 and the 20, 37th, 39th through 39th verse. He, he talked about in the, as in the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days, before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and being given in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark. And I told you, and he says, and they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. And so will be the coming of the Son of Man. So, <clears throat> we pointed out that there was really nothing wrong with them being married or eating or drinking. <laughs> you know, we all have to do these things and we're all supposed to do these things. There's nothing wrong with, uh, with those in and of themselves. But we also know through other scriptures they were just evil. They were always, they were selfish. They were self-centered. They had no eternal perspective. They had lost sight and hope uh, in God. And they were just worldly and carnal all the time. And you look around this world and you say, wow, if it was the last days when Peter and James and Paul were writing this book, it's got to be even closer to the end times now. <laughs> and uh, you know that it is. And uh, God is a God of patience. It says he's not slack in his return. As some people say, well, where is he? But, but it's out of his love and mercy that he's waiting because he, he doesn't want anyone to perish. He's waiting for us to do our work for him to help heal, empower, love and prosper, to bring salvation, to help others to come in. Huh? Before he returns. But believe me, Jesus is eagerly awaiting his return. Um, we should learn all of our examples, of course, from Jesus. But I'm telling you, even though he's eagerly waiting, he is patiently waiting because he's only going to do what he hears or sees or is told by his father to do. And that's the same way that we should be. You know, it says right before that passage of Scripture that I didn't include last week about, and as in the days of Noah, the Scripture right before that, Matthew twenty four thirty six says, But of that day and hour knoweth no man, no, not the angels in heaven, but my Father only, is what Jesus said, talking about His return. So, I just wanted to share that with you because I've, have a lot of people contact me and, and run things by me and send me things. And I had a had a young man, um, nice guy. His mother, um, they're in Florida. Anyway, his mother had sent him something, and and uh, and it was a it was a Muslim cleric. It, it was a report about this Muslim cleric in London or Iran or somewhere who said he had heard uh, from. Allah or whatever, that this was going to be the last Ramadan, that the end times were, were near, that Israel was about to be wiped off the face of the earth, and because of it, it had increased uh, terrorist activity in Israel, and people were, these young Muslims were enthusiastic to do something to please Allah and those they were doing terrible things and there was an outbreak of this and he goes makes you think huh and he goes, they wonder if it could be true and I said well first of all let me tell you if Jesus Christ himself doesn't even know when he's going to get to return I'm certainly not going to listen to some uh, cleric that's motivated by a demon theology about his return he doesn't know, and I don't know. I said, but we need to be ready like he's coming today and work like he's not coming for a long time. Either way, we win in the end. And all that is, is just an attempt by the enemy to stir people up unto ungodliness and to, to, to bring terror and, and, and things like that. And I'm not going to be afraid of anything like that in the name of Jesus. So. So, John five nineteen, Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the, one, the Son can do nothing of His own accord, but only what He sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. And again, this is our example. 
and then and our our goals are we have an eternal hope our goal our uh, eternal mark that we are sure to hit in Christ and we should also have daily and and weekly and and uh, monthly and annual goals, even with ourselves between us and the Lord, to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So we want to be just like Him, and we are being conformed to conform to His likeness, glory to glory, faith to faith, huh? But you know, a good goal is to say, Lord, I want to be like You were here, and I only want to. Do what I hear you tell me to do. I only want to do what you say to do. I don't want to get ahead of you, Lord. Because one thing about patience, and I'll just end on this, is that we need to let God's patience lead us in our life. We need to let God's patience take the initiative in our life. Because, and it does take practice, but Jesus said it in his own life and and that he didn't do anything unless he heard or saw the father do it and it's hard to do and it's especially hard for me i find that when i'm still and when i'm not doing anything and when i'm really just trying to be patient i often feel like i'm doing something wrong i feel like i'm supposed to be doing something you know and i guess just my raising or whatever if you're not if you're not digging a hole somewhere then you're not you're just being lazy or something. I don't know what's wrong with me, but I'm trying to fix that. So y'all pray for me. But patience is a big part of the Christian life and we need to learn to embrace it. I'm going to talk more about patience, but the fact is that without patience, we can really miss the mark. We can really get things really screwed up. You can say the right thing at the wrong time and it becomes the wrong thing to say. You know what I'm saying? That's just one example. I can give you many, many examples from the Word. And um, and maybe we will. We'll talk about this some more. But think about this. Remember, and how hard it had to be. Because you want to say, oh yeah, Jesus was patient and that's okay. But he was, he was born a man just like the rest of us, man or woman, you know. But the... They came to him and told him that his great friend Lazarus was sick. Remember the song they sang earlier? And he stayed where he was for a couple more days and just rested up. And you know, there had to be a lot of wondering, speculation about that. You know what I'm saying? Really criticism probably in the minds of those disciples. They had seen him heal people like you wouldn't believe, you know. And uh, he just stayed a couple more days. And then he told him he was dead. All right, he's dead. First he told him he was sleeping, but then he had to finally tell him he was dead because they didn't get it. <laughs> and they went. And so when they got there, he'd been dead for four days. So you, you can imagine all the thinking and the thoughts toward him. And they probably weren't good, but he wasn't moved by what the world thought. Or what they told him to do. He only did what he heard his father tell him to do. Or what he saw his father do. And this turned out to be for God's glory. We know that he called Lazarus forth. But had he not been patient. All the glory that was due God in that situation. And that the father had planned. If Jesus gotten ahead of him. It wouldn't be a song today. huh? All right. Your minds can only absorb as much as your seeds can endure. <laughs> I love you guys. God loves you. All our hope is in Jesus, huh? You're going to continue to live out the life He's called you to, to the fullest? And try to learn and practice patience? Heavenly Father, thank You for this day and for all of Your truth. Even the parts that hurt a little bit, Lord. <laughs> we thank you that you are the master gardener. Thank you for pruning us because you love us. To make us better, to make us healthier, more productive, fruit-yielding children of God. We are your children. We're confident in that. We're confident in you. We, we trust in you. You have a wonderful track record of our lives. We wouldn't be here today if it weren't for you. If we just 
started at our feet and worked our way up and just give you thanks, Lord. We, we don't have enough time in the day to thank you for everything that you are and everything you've done for us. Help us not to focus on the negative and to give the devil any credit for anything that he's done in this world or in this life. Help us to focus on you and your beauty and your promises and your provision and your protection and your love for us and to share that with the whole world. Thank you, Lord, for going out and helping us to go out and going with us, Holy Spirit, to tell others about what you've done for us. Let's fill this place up on Resurrection Sunday and let's share the good news with everybody we can. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.